Lifestyle Janitorial Cleaning services Houston and surrounding areas. They work with real estate agents and property management companies to arrange move-in and out cleaning. Lifestyle Janitorial Cleaning Service brings an energetic and professional approach to cleaning services. Their goal is to exceed the expectations of every client by offering extraordinary customer service and exceptional quality. They provide the following services, commercial cleaning, commercial office spaces and medical facilities, residential cleaning, private homes, apartments and condos, deep or general cleaning for move in or out for commercial properties and residential properties, park cleanup, special event cleanup. Their entire team is highly trained and have been chosen based on their integrity and work experience in the industry. Lifestyle janitorial cleaning service uses up-to-date cleaning equipment and environmentally safe and friendly cleaning products. Welcome to Zenergy, the interactive podcast providing resources for building a better life. I am Zenashe. I am a coach, a conduit, and a catalyst who launches humanity into greatness by accelerating mindset changes and replacing limitations with possibilities. And today, I think this is a topic that pretty much anybody who's been in any field can relate to. We're going to be talking about avoiding burnout by using radical discernment. And so I have Catherine Golub here today with me and say hi to the people. Hey, everyone. It's, it's really great to be here. Thank you for making this happen, Zen. I appreciate it. Oh, I appreciate it. And and I'm, I'm so interested in this topic because I feel like I've been running away from burnout for about the last um, 10 years, trying to avoid it and not succeeding all the time. You know, I actually started um, performing as a stress relief. And that mm-hmm. was about, I'd say about five years ago. I first started writing to try to get my stress out, just writing a lot more than I had been. And then I started performing and then I started doing live shows. And all of that was because I felt burnt out. I felt so stressed. I felt overwhelmed by stress. Um, And so I guess the first question that I wanted to ask you is, you know, what is burnout? You know, I think people kind of know when they start to feel it, but how would you kind of define what burnout is? Yeah, there are many many definitions. Um, so a few, one is it's, it's a feeling of just being done. Like, you know, we have this internal energy, kind of like an internal fire, if you use the metaphor of a fire and <clears throat> the feeling of being burnt out is like the fires, maybe, maybe there's embers, but it's just, it's done. It's a feeling of being exhausted and overwhelmed. One of my favorite definitions is from Emily and Amelia Nagotsky, who wrote a book entitled Burnout. And their definition, I may not get it exactly right, but it's something like being exhausted from everything that you have to do and yet still not feeling like you're doing enough. So, so people who have a tendency toward burnout and most of the people that, the people that I work with are people who 
have a tendency to give, 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 give to everyone else. But in order to maintain that sense of internal fire or energy reserves, there has to be a flow of giving and receiving. It's okay to be a giver and to give to other people, like the Nagasis write about, but we also have to be receiving and there has to be a flow. I think that's really great, that idea of flow. Um, there has to be giving and receiving, you know, it kind of like the water cycle. It's like, you know, you have the water come down and then it's, it gets absorbed by something and then that something releases water vapor back into the atmosphere and then there's a cycle, mm -hmm. you know? So we have to have a cycle. And if we're constantly giving out, we're not replenishing our cup. You know, I've heard people say you can't give from an empty cup. Mm -hmm. Or mm -hmm. you, you might hear people say, if you're in a plane, they always tell you to put the mask on yourself first, because if you pass out, you can't help anybody. So that that feeling that I'm about to pass out, <laughs> mm -hmm. I need somebody to give me a mask. You know, mm -hmm. let me breathe for a second. Let me replenish myself for a second. I think that that is kind of that feeling of burnout. And why do you think it's such a big issue? Is our life just so much more stressful now? Is that what you think it is? Or why do, what do you think is going on? So a few things. One is I want to go back to the idea of the, the breath and of the water cycle that inherent in both of those is that there are rhythms in nature. There, I live in Massachusetts, or present-day Massachusetts, um, on the ancestral lands of the Pecumtuck people, and I live next to a farm, and here we have really extreme seasons. <laughs> so we have, it's really cold, and it often snows a lot in the winter. And uh, then in the spring, you know, there's a sense of rebirth, and, and then in the summer, it's it's really hot here. I have multiple fans going. And in the fall, it, you know, things go back to wintering. And we are, we humans, we're animals, we're, we're human animals who are part of the system of nature. And yet we live under, under human created systems of bell hooks talked about uh, capital. I may not get this exactly right, but I believe her language was capitalist, imperialist, uh, uh, white supremacist patriarchy. These systems that say we need to be con constantly productive, constantly mm -hmm. producing, mm -hmm. and constantly that some of us need to be constantly giving, giving, giving. And that is not in alignment with our human needs, like the water cycle, like the breath, like the seasons, to sometimes rest and sometimes rise and in late stage capitalism we often forget that and many of us are in this a place of meeting meeting cherry member that that sounds really good and, and i i do feel like there is a push now for people to say Hey, I do need a break. I do need to self-care. I think self-care has become a big, in a sense, mantra. A lot of people are thinking about mental health, mental wellness, because they're realizing that we can't keep this pace up. We have to, we can't just be producing. We actually also have to take time to rest, time to recuperate, time to reflect, time for silence. We have, because if we don't, then our bodies break down. 
our minds break down, our spirits and souls break down. You know, we have breakdowns in relationships. So we can't just keep going at this pace. And, and it's kind of funny because if we had, let's say a horse or even um, a, a, a car, we would know that we can't run that car forever without stopping to put gas in it, you know, maybe check the tires, change the oil. We know that, but then with ourselves, a lot of times we don't think that way. Mm-hmm. We don't, we don't check on ourselves. Hey, I'm, how am I doing? Do I, do I need an oil change? You know, mm-hmm. Do I need right. more gas? We don't, we don't check on ourselves. We just expect ourselves to get up every day and perform. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that it's, it's great when people realize, wait a minute, I do need to check on myself. I do need to, to take some time for me mm-hmm. and, and invest in, in me and not just in producing for someone else or producing for the people in my life, mm-hmm. you know? So, so what, what advice do you have for people that are, you know, suffering from burnout or even how do you think people can avoid it? Are there ways that you think people can avoid it? Sure. Well, the first thing I want to just share is that you're right. The word, the language, the movement around self-care is really grown in the last, I don't know how long, maybe the last decade. And and I think that the language of self-care can be confusing to a lot of people because in the people that I work with are people who are engaged in some type of work that makes a difference in their communities. A lot of people who are engaged in social justice and social change work. And when we are continuously barraged by the news and by the collective uh, travesty and heartache that exists in the world, it can be really confusing to think, you know, I don't have it as bad as a lot of people out there. So why would I deserve to take care of myself? But then that can lead to a savior mentality um, and kind of a supremacist, a a replication of supremacist. I've got to take care of everyone else and it can, it can replicate patterns of supremacy. And so what I like to think about like that my, my act, my inner activist still like kind of bristles at the language of self-care, even though one of my my first, I've had a coaching practice for nine and a half years, I've been a full-time leadership and career coach, but my my first brand was Radical Self-Care Now. That was the name of my initial name of my company. It's now Center for Callings and Courage. But I still bristles, my interactivist still bristles at the language of self-care. So I have, in the last like year or so, preferred thinking about the language of solidarity medicine and understanding that to act in solid, the root of the word solidarity is mutual responsibility. And if we were actually to honor our mutual responsibility to care for the collective and to care for ourselves, we must, we must do both. And so solidarity medicine is anything that helps us meet our needs so that we can live joyful lives, full stop, and so that we can also do our part to care for the collective. So that's, um, I'm realizing I'm forgetting your initial question. I think it was about burnout, but ultimately if, burn, if we burn out because our needs aren't met, healing and preventing burnout is about honoring and taking steps, taking steps to honor our own needs. I think that's great. I think, I, you know, 
You said a lot right there. And I had never really thought about that because, you know, um, I, a lot of my demographic and my target market is women. Um, I do have a, I do have a huge male following, but I have a huge, uh, a huger, a <laughs> bigger female following um, in most cases. And we have been socialized that it's our role to be nurturers. It's our, our feminine role. It's our duty. And so, and, and you come up with that question among a lot of women, like, why do I need to do this? I, this isn't this supposed to be my purpose to care for everybody else. And, and am I not being selfish if I take time for myself, if I, you know, close the door and say, this is mommy time right now, or, you know, even want to read a book. If my kids want me to stop reading that book and play with them, isn't it selfish for me to say, well, give mommy 20 minutes, you know, or, you know what I'm saying? So that question that you're saying that, that people in the helping professions, um, a lot of times are feeling like I don't have it as bad as someone else. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't, how do I deserve to be caring for myself? And then I, again, one of my answers is these are human needs. You don't need to earn it. You don't need to earn the right to care for yourself. And, and again, going back to nature, I talk about nature a lot, that there are cycles and we have to move with those cycles. There are times when you when you give, there are times when you receive, there are times when you rest, there are times when you work, you know, um, even going back to the Bible, there's a time for everything under the sun. So if we're constantly giving, then we're not in natural flow and we're going to burn out. We're going to wear ourselves out. So that's something that, um, some people haven't thought about and they haven't, they haven't in a sense, uh, adapted because we've been socialized in certain ways and we've even been made made to feel guilty about taking time for ourselves and and the healers healing themselves yeah. you know and yeah. getting help to heal themselves so now i wanted to move to um radical discernment which is a term that i had never heard before maybe you coined it uh what what does that mean yeah yeah so i did uh, name, put those words together. I definitely didn't create the words radical or discernment, but um, <laughs> radical discernment is the methodology that I've developed over the last several years. And it's more than, it's much more than what, what I offer. I define radical discernment um, as the practice and skill of choosing that which honors our personal and collective needs. So the practice and skill of choosing that which honors our personal and collective needs. And so I um, recently finished the manuscript of the book teaching what I, what I teach to my clients, um, and that'll come out probably next summer. But I say, you know, I, I can't teach all of the practices and skills of honoring our personal and collective needs, but there are certain really fundamental practices that I've discovered that take seconds or minutes, most of them, that can help us shift our approach, our relationship with ourselves and our approach, our relationship with each other, so that it becomes far more easy to make the choices that honor our needs um, 
yeah, that's what radical discernment is. Well, you know, I like that idea. You know, one thing that I've found is that sometimes change isn't massive. Sometimes it's like you said, a shift. It's, uh, it could be five minutes here, five minutes there, 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there, or it could just be a shift in your priorities. So it doesn't have to be completely an overhaul or a complete um, disregard of your previous life. It could be just like a tweak, a, a little shift. And sometimes a little shift can make a big difference. You know, I always hear about if you have a plane that's off by like a half of a percentage mm -hmm. on its navigation, it could end up thousands of miles away by the mm -hmm. time, you know, the, the plane ends its journey, just that half a percentage point of being off. And that's why they're constantly checking their gauges and making sure that they haven't veered, you know, mm -hmm. from their, from their destination. Cause sometimes we just, we get lost and we don't realize that it, it, we could just do a small course correction and it would bring us back into alignment. It would make us feel so much better. We would, you know, just that little moving of the, the needle just a little bit every day, even like you said, if it's, if it's, you know, five minutes a day, 10 minutes a day where you're checking in with yourself where you're, um, you know, just changing a few things about what you do so that you don't end up burnt out mm -hmm. at the end of the year, but you mm -hmm. end up refreshed and you end up um, feeling like, okay, I can keep moving forward. I can keep going. And, you know, and one thing I've learned, cause I'm a Virgo, they say that we're detail oriented, we're perfectionists. You know, we have that kind of, um, I guess, moniker or stereotype. I've had to learn not to be a workaholic. I've had to learn to, put breaks in my day or to um, think about, let me prioritize. What If I've got 20 things on my to-do list, how many do I really need to accomplish to feel that I'm successful mm -hmm. today? Maybe that's just the first three. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if I get the first three done, then that's good enough. If mm -hmm. I get some of the other ones, okay. If I don't, I can get to them tomorrow. It doesn't have to all be done today. So those, the, for me, those were small tweaks, um, things that I began to discern as we're talking about, you know, discernment that I needed to change because you can't always have your your standard way up here. Sometimes you have to realize I'm going to have highly productive days and I'm going to have less productive days, and that's just natural. It's it's every day can't be a ten. Some days are going to be a seven. Some days are going to be a five. Some days are going to be a three. And that's all natural, you know? So I think, I think that idea that you had about small tweaks, that's really good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I most, when I first started my coaching practice, when it was called radical self-care now, my focus was teaching people engaged in social change to practice better self-care. But what I discovered, to prevent burnout. But unfortunately, what I discovered was that folks that I wanted to reach were not heavily invested, investing in self-care and preventing burnout. My clients were coming to me after they had already burnt out 
and they were confused and bewildered about what they were supposed to do next in their lives. And so they, they really wanted and want a lot of them career clarity. And one of the stories that trips them up often is the, there's a lot of talk out there in the self-help world about taking the big leap. But the reality, like you said, you, you don't necessarily jump from here to there very quickly. It's like I would often feel when I started my practice, like I was trying to, looking over toward the stairs, like I would try, I'd be at the bottom and I would be like, I want to get five steps up and I would like try to leap and then I'd fall metaphorically. Right, right. And that's not how change happens. Clarity mm -hmm. is an emergent phenomenon. Clarity is meaning you know, emergence is the process by which something that is greater than the sum of its parts emerges from multiple small, seemingly unrelated components. Clarity is an emergent phenomenon. Clarity is an iterative phenomenon. We get clear through little steps. And there's often a lot of relief that my clients experience when they realize that they don't have to, thank you, that they don't have to, um, they don't have to make a big leap, typically. It's the small changes, the small conversations that ultimately lead to where they want to be. Um. Yeah, you know, that's something that I have also had to think about. Um, and going back to nature, one of the things that I remind myself of a lot is that everything starts as a seed, right? And when you put a seed in the ground and you're watering it, you don't see it grow like that. It takes time for the seed to germinate. There's stuff going on under the ground. Mm -hmm. And then you see that first little shoot poke out. And then you see the little leaves poke out. And then you see the stalk raise. And then it actually turns into a tree years later. But that everything is incremental. Now, sometimes you do have huge leaps forward, but most times you don't. Most times it's just step-by-step mm -hmm. -step growth and small wins and, and then celebrating those small wins and saying, hey, I'm, I'm better this week than I was last week, or mm -hmm. I'm further this month than I was last month. And one of the things that I've learned to do, I, I bought a passion planner, which was one of the best decisions that I could have made because it has a focus for each day and it has little quotes, but it has at the end of every month, a reflection piece where you reflect, you know, what are the things that you're most proud of this month? Mm -hmm. You know, what, what, um, what did you accomplish this month? What goals did you reach this month? And I was not in a habit before I bought this passion planner of doing that on a monthly basis. I would normally do that on a yearly basis. And at that time, it's kind of hard to reflect on the whole year. It's kind of hard to see, you know, everything. But when you're doing it on a monthly basis, it really does. For me, it made a huge impact. Mm -hmm. And I saw that <clears throat> times I was doing a lot more than I thought I was. And I was making a lot more progress than I thought I was. You know, so I think that it's really powerful when you say that they were coming to you already burnt out mm -hmm. and confused. And mm -hmm. I've been there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've been there feeling like I'm already burnt out. But then sometimes just taking a moment and reflecting on the last month mm -hmm. helped me feel like, okay, I'm not, <clears throat> this is what I did. I did make progress. I did grow. I did 
accomplish this? And, and what am I, you know, why am I being so hard on myself? Stop, mm-hmm. you know, just stop. You mm-hmm. don't have to be so hard on yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I start all of my client sessions <clears throat> with the question, what's new and good, which mm-hmm. I believe comes from reevaluation counseling. Um, and I do that because we have to, well, for, I do that for so many different reasons, but one of the reasons is that you know, so many of my clients are focused on changing what is wrong with the world. We have, for many reasons, both how we're physiologically, neurologically designed to detect threat, uh, and also in our current time with so many challenges that we do need to confront we train ourselves to focus on what needs to be changed. But if we, it's, if we do not focus on what um, is good, it does so many disservices. It, it dishonors what is good, first of all, and it makes it harder for us to notice what is good and to de- detect otherwise hidden opportunities and to feel good. It's so much harder to feel good if we're only looking at what's problematic. So, I, I start all of my client sessions that way, and often with my new clients, I really need to um, stress the, the fact that new and good doesn't have to be brand new and extraordinary. Like every single breath is new and good. Every single sunrise is new and good, and, and, and every single breath and every single sunrise and every single you know, conversation deserves honoring and deserves celebration. And that, that also increases our resilience to navigate all of the hard stuff that we have a responsibility to navigate at this day and age. I think that's really powerful that, you know, you're telling them every new breath is a new and good. Every new sunrise is new and good. That's, I think I'm going to borrow that from you and, and say, you know, I'll give you credit. But I, I think that that is very powerful because there are times when we are facing burnout and we're feeling like, oh my gosh, I've given so much. I've done so much. And I don't feel like I have anything to show for it. I don't feel like I've made any progress. I feel like this problem is still as big as it was when I started trying to work on this problem. But the fact that, you know, we haven't given up, that we do have a new day to continue to work, that, um, you know, just that is something to be grateful for, you know? So um, I, I, I do very much believe in the power of gratitude, the power of focusing on the good. Um, again, like I said, trying to take stock of the good that's happened, the good that you've done, the good that you've experienced, um, the blessings of the people in your life, mm-hmm. you know, even things like, you know, I, in my guided journal, I ask people to write down movies that, they're going to watch for their, you know, topic that they're working on or books that they're going to read or songs that they're going to listen to while they're listening to that song, say an affirmation, you know, so trying to pour back into ourselves through things that inspire us, looking at the good around us, listening to our favorite song, getting that cup of tea that we like, that cup of coffee, you know, putting our feet up for a minute, just enjoying the good, whatever the good is, how, no matter how small it is, like you said, it doesn't have to be extraordinary. 
It can just be, oh my gosh, right now my kids are playing so nicely. They're not arguing. <laughs> They're oh not talking God. to me. <laughs> you know, yes. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. Hallelujah. Mm-hmm. I get five minutes to just watch them play without, you know, mm-hmm. somebody saying, you're touching me, you're touching me, you know, mm-hmm. or mom, mom, you know. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, just even just the smallest little things, just being in the moment and enjoying the beauty of those moments. Because, you know, one of the things that I try to remind people of is no matter where you are, you don't get this day again. You know, you don't get this week again, this month again, this year again. So try to enjoy the journey, even though you may not be where you want to be or you may not have what you want to have. Enjoy those moments because they're going to be gone, you know, and then if you're not enjoying them, you know, you're not going to they're not going to resonate the same. You, It's kind of like the stopping and smelling the roses thing. Stop and smell the roses. Mm-hmm as you're going through. And and I think that it's also really important that we, I mean, there's so much of my work is about navigating, holding, honoring polarities, you know, life, life exists, you know, cold, hot, uh, light, dark, uh, you know, active, passive, Mm -hmm. hard, soft. Um, and so often, giving, receiving, so often people get stuck on one side of, of a polarity um, and that can lead to all sorts of stuckness. So how I want to say how that shows up in this conversation, I think, is that gratitude is necessary. Taking in the good is necessary. It is, it is essential. And so is being with the hard stuff. So often modern day self-help culture can get veered into toxic positivity mm-hmm. and a diminishment and an ignoring and a bypassing of what needs to change. And so, and when people are, you know, I'm, I'm aware of people listening to conversation about gratitude, there can even be a blaming of a self blaming of why am I not smelling the roses or why am I not enjoying my kids? Right. Or why am I not noticing the sunrise? I should be better at gratitude. Right. Cause anything can become a should. And often in order to get to the place where we can really notice what's good, we have to first be able to be with what's not so good or what's much harder. And so I just named that that's one incredibly important practice that I see as a practice of radical discernment is turning toward any emotion, any part of ourselves, even any story that we notice ourselves telling ourselves, even if we know that it's limiting and damaging with love and kindness. Because if we try to bypass with with affirmations or with, I got to do, I got to love it, (laughs) that could just, that often just makes us feel worse. So there's just a polarity of like honoring what's what we really love and honoring when we don't feel so good either. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, taking in both sides and, and being balanced and realizing we don't have to always be positive. Sometimes we can just be with what is. Just be with what is. Don't try to change it. Don't try to judge it. Just be with it. And just let it be, just let it be exactly what it is because you don't, you don't have to fix it. You don't have to change it. You don't have to judge it. Just be with it. 
Mm-hmm. And that, that can be powerful too. Just, you know, one of the words that I have learned over the past couple of years is surrender. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just need to surrender, surrender to the moment, whatever it is, good or bad, and just be with it, you know, mm-hmm. and not, not try to change it, not try to be in control of it. Just mm-hmm. surrender, just surrender, mm-hmm. you know? And, and that's a, a very powerful thing. So I put your website, you know, on the screen. Mm-hmm. So you have the Center for Callings and Courage. So um, where did you come up with that name? I, I, I When I saw that, I thought that is really interesting, you know, because, you know, I always think of a calling as something someone feels destined to do, something they feel that um, is drawing them, mm-hmm. that they feel is is their purpose or their passion and then it does take courage Mm -hmm. (laughs) many times to step into that calling um especially since many many callings don't seem to be highly paid or sometimes even respected Uh you know so it does take courage to uh move forward and say i'm going to do this Mm-hmm. Um, regardless of whatever difficulties are in it. So, you know, where did you come up with this this name, the Center for Callings and Courage? Sure. Yeah. Um, thank you for that question. So that takes me that takes me way back. Um, so the 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 medium sized answer to that question um, is in my early work, except for waiting tables in high school and college, all of my early work was in community organizing. Um, and after college, I worked for a couple of years with the hotel workers union. And uh, when I was 25, I had a series of events take place that, that ended up serving as wake-up calls for me because I was absolutely a workaholic and uh, constantly on the verge of burnout. Um, the first was that my partner, who was Mexican, uh, was racially profiled and uh, deported back to Mexico. And then uh, I moved to work with the union from Connecticut to Arizona to try to be closer to him. And then a couple of months after I moved to Arizona, at a regular uh, doctor's appointment uh, to actually get on a different type of birth control, uh, I discovered I was eight weeks pregnant. Hmm. And then I moved to Mexico, eight, uh, seven months pregnant, to Oaxaca, Mexico. And all of that was a wake-up call for me. And, I, and that's a very long story short. Um, I couldn't keep working with the union at that time. And I was like, what do I do with my life? And how do I shift how I have been relating to myself in order to be the mother that I want to be? Because it's this child who's now 14 and a half, I think. (laughs) Um, And that started a series of decisions to first, I decided to become a birth doula and a childbirth educator. um, And then moved back to the States when my son was four and a half and we got his dad's visa. Um, And at that time it wasn't tenable for me as a mother of a young child to, uh, work on call as a doula and work on the weekends. I was also teaching yoga to pregnant um, moms and people. Um, <clears throat> and so I decided to start my coaching practice because that was a way for me to support people through 
rites of passage, these big life transitions during school hours. And one of my trainings was as a birthing from within mentor. Um, and during that process, I learned the, a, a model, a map of major life transitions. And I boiled it down to three phases. <clears throat> it's based on, mm, based on really ancient stories, like including Inanna's story. She was the Sumerian um, goddess of um, heaven and earth. And one of our oldest stories that we have written record of is on, on ancient tablets from ancient Sumer is her story. Um, and there are three elements of that story that I, that really were profound for me and very helpful during this time of my life. And those are the calling, callings, gates, and allies. And while most people think of callings as a specific vocation, like I'm specifically called to do this thing in my life, I define callings as a calling is a longing to take on a new challenge in service of something that is larger than ourselves. And so we can be called that I could be called to have this conversation. You're called to do this podcast. You're called to do this spoken word, called to, called to have a divorce, right? Called to explore new relationships. All these different things can be callings. And in order to say yes to a calling, we, it requires us to become more fully ourselves than we've ever been before and to let go of, um, patterns that may have held us back and that requires courage. Um, and so, and, and the gates are these moments of decision or completion at which we must let go of something that's held us back in order to step fully, step more fully into our calling and become more fully the person we're called to be. And every gate, at every gate, the voice of doubt shows up and at every, and we must turn toward the voice of doubt with love and kindness and access the courage to cross through the gate to call on the support of allies and to say yes to our calling. And so um, I don't know when, three years ago, four years ago, I rebranded the business to be the Center for Callings and Courage. And that's the, <laughs> that's the medium-sized version. No, but I, story. oh my gosh, I love that because um, at the end of my book, well, okay, in my memoir, I have a memoir. It's called uh, Plenty of Guppies and Other Dating Misadventures. And it's the last seven years of my life. I believe that seven is a number of completion. But throughout the book, um, I talk about social norms. And I also talk about the stories that we grow up with. For example, um, you have the damsel in distress story. You have the, um, the, the basically the prince charming story, you know, and the woman's waiting for her prince charming. So we have all of these myths that surround us. And, and even though these are stories, they literally push certain narratives in society and have the whole let's say Pandora and Eve idea that women are the source of everything wrong and we need to keep them under our thumb because if we let them go free, well, look what happened. 
Mm-hmm. She, you know, Pandora led all the evil in the world. Eve got us kicked out of the garden and, you know, we're, we're, we have sinful lives now. We die now. Um, but this idea that the very first, one of the first complete stories that we have is a story of Inanna and she, you know, is about callings mm-hmm. and gates. Mm-hmm. All right. And I think that is so powerful because we are called to do many things and we do have to go through, as you said, these moments of decision where we have to put aside the way we saw ourselves, the the image we had of ourselves, the limitations, as you mentioned, that we had accepted previously. Mm -hmm. And in the book, I actually talk about getting rid of a lot of these, you know, I'm not going to be just the damsel in distress waiting for Prince Charming to save me. I'm going to slay my own dragon. Right on, right. You know what I mean? So because these things are very limiting, if I have to wait for permission Mm -hmm. to move forward from society or from a man, if I have to get my validation Mm -hmm. from society or a man, if I have to... And, and so many women are taught this, that, you know, it's, it's like there's a song, you're nobody till somebody loves you. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And, mm-hmm. and, and we, we can love ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So part of my book was actually bringing those tropes and those myths and those norms out into the light and saying, yeah, this affected me, mm-hmm. but I'm moving past this. Mm-hmm. I realize I have a choice about continuing to live under this um, idea. And Mm -hmm. I choose not to live under this idea anymore. Mm -hmm. And I choose to, as you said, make that decision at the gate, even though doubt may come up and say, well, you've done this your whole life. Mm -hmm. But I can say, well, today's a new day. Mm -hmm. I got a new breath. I got a new sunrise. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to move forward with courage Mm -hmm. and I'm going to create a new path forward. Mm-hmm. where I'm not the damsel in distress, where I'm mm-hmm. not. And, and I even mention how in ancient cultures, there were so many tropes for women. You know, there was the maiden, there was the crone, there was the wise woman, you know, there was the seductress, there was the warrior, basically the warrior priestess kind of, you know, there was the mystic. But we don't, in, in America, we have kind of like the Madonna and the whore. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? We, we have mm-hmm. very few tropes for women. Um, and if we go back to more ancient times, women were allowed to be so many things and all of it was embraced. And, and now we're in this modern age where if you're this way, you're too much, you're too loud, you're too aggressive, you're this, you know, whereas in ancient times, it was expected for a lot of times for there to be different types of women, mm-hmm. and different expressions <clears throat> of and femininity. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's also a very powerful thing is for us to realize that as we go through these gates, we have to shed images and we have to shed stereotypes and mm-hmm. we have to have the courage to, like you said, get rid of those limitations, those mm-hmm. uh, expectations that people have put on us mm-hmm. that have kept us in a little box. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I have two different thoughts about that. One, one is that even the, even the story that there are two genders is a, is a uh, function of patriarchy and that so many cultures throughout time have understood that there, are, there, are, there is a wide spectrum of gender. There are many different genders. Um, and 
And that just feels really important to name as we are talking about, you know, talking, most of my clients also identify as women. Um, and so that, that feels really important to name and that we are in a pivotal moment in our society in which we are, many of us at least are waking up to the fact and reclaiming uh, the understanding that there are, that there are many different genders. Um, and then the other thing I want to name is that when people are listening and thinking about these stories that we hold, we don't actually need to, so often people are like, well, how do I get rid of my old stories? <clears throat> and so much of the work that I do with people is around, you don't, you actually, we can't get rid of old stories. So I want to make that clear when we talk about getting, going through a gate. It's not like you were trying to erase the old stories. I feel so many of my clients come to me having wasted so much time saying, I don't know how to get rid of these stories. We, it's actually not physiologic, neuro, neurobiologically possible. What we need to do is to acknowledge the stories that we've held, separate them from what is actually happening, and then choose a new story that serves us more. Even if the old story, even if part of ourselves still believes the old story, we don't have to demand that that part lets go of their story. That part can continue to believe their old story. We can love them just the same. And the rest of us can say, okay, I choose, I choose to live this new story. Um, and so that, that feels important to me as well. I like that. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's frequently on social media, this question of if you had these two choices, take the red pill right. and yeah, take the red pill and you get to redo all your mistakes or get $10 million right now. Mm -hmm. And I always say, I'm going to take the $10 million because my mistakes, I've dealt with them. I've, I've come to peace with them. I don't have any problem with them. They made me who I am today. I'm very grateful for the mistakes that I made. So I don't need to go back and fix anything. I made the choices I made. I tried to make the best choices I could at the time. I thought that I was doing, in most cases, the best thing I could do at the time. You know, so... I'm at peace with that. I don't have to go back and I don't have regrets about whatever. You know, I, I've come to peace with it. I've accepted what I did, what I didn't do, what my miscalculations, my mistaken ideals and I, you know, identity, the flaws in my character, all that. I've just, I love me. I love mm -hmm. me. I love the person that I was. Mm -hmm. I love the person that I am. Mm -hmm. I love the person I'm becoming. And I don't have a problem with any of those people. Mm -hmm. So that, that to me is a very freeing thing when you can, as you said, realize I don't have to change that story that I believed. I can say, I believe that. Yeah, mm -hmm. I did. And part of me may still believe it to mm -hmm. a certain degree, but I'm moving into a new story. I'm creating a new future for myself. Mm -hmm. I'm changing my mindset in certain ways and I'm walking through these gates uh, and I'm, releasing these limitations and saying, mm -hmm. okay, I'm going to take the courage to move forward. Yeah. So that, yeah. that is very powerful to, to help people do that. And even to share with them, you know, that it can be done because, you know, so many times we're told that, you know, if you haven't done this by 25, then you should give it up or 30 or 40 or 50 or whatever it is. Or if you are 70. Yeah. Right? If you made this choice, then it's just all over. But that's not true. Mm -hmm. As you said, every morning that we wake up and we have breath, 
we have new opportunities and we can make new choices. And that's the power of living, that living is full of new opportunities and new choices. And so, you know, I think it's really great that you're helping people to come to that radical discernment. And, and, and I wanted to mention that word radical. Uh, were you ever nervous about using that word radical? Because sometimes people are like, radical. <laughs> like, you know. Yeah, no, not, not with the folks that I work with. <laughs> not, not, not with the people yeah, that I work with. Yeah, not the people that you work and with. Yeah, for your target market, probably, yeah. No, I... I mean, I've, I consider myself an activist first and a coach second. I, I've been an activist since I'm 40 now, and I've been an activist since I was 18. So, and I've been a coach the last nine and a half years. So my commitment to social change is priority. And the, the definition of radical that I like is Angela Davis's definition, which is just, I don't, Again, I don't know that I have this word for word, but it's like getting to the root. Mm. And if the root of our, of the, the root of the choices that create the change in the world that we wish to see and in the rest of the world and in our personal lives, if the root of that is understanding and honoring our personal and collective needs, that is the root of the discernment that I want for people and that my clients want for themselves. So, no, I, I didn't have any qualms about using the word radical. Awesome. <laughs> you know, another thing I wanted to mention, I love your definition of the word radical, getting to the root. Yeah. Because um, one of the things that I think can cause problems is people look at you, they look at me, and they come to certain snap judgments, mm -hmm. all right, of what you are about what mm -hmm. I am about, what we value. They haven't talked to us. They mm -hmm. haven't done any research on us, but they've come to these snap judgments. Um, and it's, it's sad that we still live in that kind of world where they might put you in one category and put me in a different category altogether just because of our, let's say our, our race. Mm -hmm. Um, or possibly the background that they might feel that we come from. You know, they might have certain stereotypes about me just because I'm a black woman mm -hmm. where she's got to be single. She must be living on welfare. Da, da, da. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't know any of that. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So, mm -hmm. and, and to be an activist, sometimes you have to deal with all of those stereotypes and, and, and kind of put challenge people's, preconceived notions, mm -hmm. you know, and, mm -hmm. and try to move them out of their preconceived notions and, and open their minds to new things. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's something that is difficult to do because people are so wired mm -hmm. <laughs> to believe in what they believe and, and to hold on to it so tightly and even find security in it. Yeah. Um, and anything that comes against that is not just an attack on a belief or attack on a system. It's a personal attack on that person. Mm. That's the way they see it anyway. Whereas we see it as we're not trying to attack you at all. We want everybody to have the best life possible. Mm -hmm. We want everybody to rise. We want everybody to be, you know, having justice and having equality and having equity. And we want that for everyone, you know? So 
I think that that idea of radical discernment, that getting to the bottom of things, seeing things clearly, really being able to break things down and and have um, the tools that are necessary, as you said, to move through those gates so that we can fulfill our calling and we have the courage to do that. I think that's very powerful. Mm-hmm. It's very powerful. Mm-hmm. So you said that you are, you just finished a book. Mm-hmm. I finished the manuscript and I'm entering the publishing process. I just started reaching out to publishers and I don't know if, if a publisher will pick it up or if I will self publish, but that is, that is yet to be determined. And either way, the book will be in print sometime next year. Well, I, God willing. <laughs> That's congratulations the on finishing a book. Finishing <laughs> a book is quite an undertaking. I know I've done it twice. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is definitely Thank something you. to, yes, you're welcome. Something to be proud of. Um, so we're kind of coming to the end of our podcast. Uh, is there anything else that you want to say about your Center for Callings and Courage, about radical discernment, about services that you offer? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my current offerings are, one, I have uh, small group coaching programs that are just six people. Um, and throughout this call, I've been talking about who my who the folks that I work with are. Um, I These groups are called the Life and Leadership Coaching Cohorts. And I have two groups starting in October. Um, I haven't announced them yet. I'm not sure how many, probably very limited uh, spaces, but um, that is one way to work with me is through those small group coaching programs. And I also work with people one-on-one. So both a lot of people who are engaged in also leadership work, um, they may be supervising or leading a team in some way. And either they want to become more effective as leaders and develop the emotional resiliency and skill to do that well, or they're at a transition point and really needing support, um, stepping into their next level calling, <clears throat> getting clear perhaps about what that is. And um, I, off, I also send out a um, free uh, love letter to changemakers every Saturday morning. Um, and so to, and that is you know, teachings every week that have emerged from my conversations with my clients. So if folks want to receive those, they can go to my website, which I appreciate you putting right there, just callingsencourage.com. Um, and then finally, where I hang out most online is Instagram. Uh, and so my handle, I think that's what it's called, is uh, Catherine, it's Catherine Golub, um, G-O-L-U-B. Okay. Well, I think we've had a very interesting conversation, you know, for people who are, um, who weren't with us the whole time, you definitely can listen to this on the replay. You can listen to it on the podcast. It'll be up on the podcast probably in about three weeks, but, you know, we started off talking about burnout. And the signs of burnout, what leads to burnout, trying to avoid burnout. We talked about um, trying to move through transitions. And, and like you said, having the courage to realize that there are decision points that we have to face. And sometimes we have to remove limitations, remove old mindsets. We kind of talked about being in the moment and polarity 
and how we don't have to have toxic positivity. We can have gratitude, but not shame ourselves when we're not grateful. Just feel our feelings, whatever they are, and realize that there's ups and downs, good and bad. You know, this is part of life, you know, and also realize that there's giving and receiving. We don't always have to be giving. You know, we can receive also. Um, And then we talked about just all the stories that we've been told and the fact that we can embrace those stories, but also move past those stories. So, you know, we talked about quite a few things and I hope that uh, the audience has gotten a lot out of this conversation. I know that I've gotten a lot out of it. Um, As we wrap up, I wanted to share with the audience that I do have my my guided journal, which is called Energize Your Life Volume 1. And it's 29 pages, so this is very short. Uh, So there's about 20 different concepts in here, a page on each page has a different concept. Each page has different activities, different journal prompts. And then I have my poetry prose memoir, which is called Plenty of Guppies and Other Dating Misadventures. And these are both on Amazon. Um, And I also have a second guided journal that I haven't put on Amazon yet, but you can get it from me. And so I am Zenashe, Z-E-N-A-S-E. So you can follow me on all the social platforms at Zenashe or Zenashe Poetry. And also Zenergy is the podcast, Z-E-N-N-U-R-G-Y. And it's on about 25 different platforms. So I want to thank you for joining us for this conversation on Radical Discernment. I want to thank my guest, Catherine Gola. Thank you. She is like, you can see if you're looking at the video, um, she has the Center for Callings and Courage and you can reach out to her there and may you walk in synergy. Have a great day. Zenashe, a newly divorced 43-year-old Southern woman, wanted a fresh start. She'd heard there were plenty of fish to choose from in the modern dating pond. What she discovered were plenty of guppies, exactly 101 of them. The result? A provocative, transparent, raw, and delightfully uncensored account of her experiences with the 101 men she encountered on her journey to find the one. In Plenty of Guppies, Zen spills all the tea on dating psychology, relationships, and self-discovery while giving readers a rare glimpse into the life of an award-winning artist and best-selling author. The book is an enlightening narrative that explores gender roles and identity outside of societal expectations. Zen has written a refreshingly mature modern-day epic of online dating, layering her personal story with erotic poetic verses and passionate prose that frame her journey toward rebuilding a life as a single woman and adjusting to both an empty nest and boomeranging children.